Welcome to the Financing Enterprise podcast series. On our show, we talk about everything startup. It could be anything from challenges the business is facing to an entrepreneurial journey to talking about growth in a business. Anything startup, we talk about it. Anything business, we talk about it. Informal chit chat will hopefully train you along the way and make you a positive, successful business person. Later. Today, we welcome Jennifer L'Oreal from Carpe Diem Gardens. Welcome to the show, Jennifer L'Oreal. What should our listeners know about you? Hello, Carly. Hi, thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So what, uh, what can I say? I design regenerative gardens and I've been in business now for 25 years. Okay, and what have you done over those past 25 years then? Well, I've done a number of different things, but uh, mostly what I've been doing is designing gardens that recreate habitats for wildlife and have food in them as well for people. And then are also hopefully beautiful so that people um, enjoy looking at them and feel peaceful when they're in them. Uh, and my uh, approach is called regenerative because that means that it doesn't leave the situation as it was when I found it, but hopefully will regenerate the soil, regenerate uh, the different ecosystems and, and create new places again um, that nature uh, can expand and uh, be beautiful again, particularly in cities and in the suburbs. Oh, lovely. And um, so obviously you're working with regenerative gardens at the moment. Uh, how did you start to how did you start out in your career or just out in business, actually, um, uh, that you got well, to this point? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I, my, uh, my daughter is disabled and okay. she, when she was a child, she was always very, very happy uh, when she was in the garden and uh, she um, used to really come alive and smile and uh, communicate. Uh, and so I got interested in designing gardens for her. Uh, to bring her joy, really. And so it started out to be uh, the sensory emphasis uh, when she was a child. And I also, the first, the very first garden I designed was for her, uh, for her school, for her special school. And that was a garden full of uh, different kinds of scents and color and um, things that the children could touch and so on. Okay. And it was from there that I became more interested in designing also for wildlife because I wanted to attract the birds to sing. Okay. And, and, and uh, because obviously for children with disabilities, if they find it difficult, particularly if they have um, mobility um, disabilities, mm -hmm. um, they find it very difficult to go out in nature, um, it, particularly if they're a wheelchair, uh, wheelchair user or um, otherwise have other you know, challenges. Yeah. So I wanted to create habitats or create an environment in the garden that would attract the wildlife to the children. So oh, I started. Wow. To, I started to. I started to learn and to study, and there was a, a BBC um, television series back in the nineteen eighties, which goes back a while, and, okay. and with a, a wildlife. Um, I'm not sure. I think he's an ecologist called Chris Baines, um, okay. and he published a book that went with a series called How to How to Build a Wildlife Garden, and it's still you can still get the book. It's been republished and uh, and so on, um, and so that 
was the first step that I learned of the different kinds of habitats in the United Kingdom and how you can make mini versions of those habitats in a small space, even a suburban garden. And that hopefully they will attract um, different kinds of creatures to live there, including birds and butterflies. So, so I started with the birds and it also helped because the RSPB, the Royal Society for Protection of Birds, which is actually a wildlife organization, it's not just about birds, um, okay. also um, publishes then and now um, a whole host of different kinds of uh, information books, um, online, online information and so on about how to uh, create um, habitats for, for birds in, in the home garden or in towns. Um, and so those two things, was that was where I started with the information, the combination of the sensory, um, the sensory attraction for um, someone with a disability, and then the wildlife. So that's how it started. Um, and then um, I went on from there. Um, at, that, at that point, I was, I was already in business because I was a carer. And I, at, point, at that point, I was a single parent as well. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, th it's let me just hard. say, <laughs> it was not easy. It was definitely not easy. Um, I have two children with disabilities. I mean, they're now all adults, so um, they, they've grown up. But at that time, um, even though I was sharing uh, the responsibility with their father, he worked away. And uh, in fact, for a long time, he worked abroad. Okay. So essentially, I was a single parent, even though in many ways I wasn't, but in, but in term, practical terms I was. So as you can imagine with all the school holidays yeah. and uh, children who were being brought home, to, brought home from school and that needed quite, um, quite intense care, um, there was no way I could find an employer who, who would uh, give me 14 weeks paid holiday and uh, the freedom to go to medical appointments and you know, all the rest of it. So yeah. there was only one, way, only one way forward and that was to become self-employed and okay. actually uh, i mean it has been it has not been easy <laughs> oh i bet yeah <laughs> it has absolutely not been easy it is not easy anyway for women there right. definitely is a grass ceiling i mean i've been a, a feminist since the year dot and because i'm already ancient that goes back a ways <laughs> and, <laughs> and and you know uh, um, i mean i've been a feminist for over 50 years and things really have not changed in certain ways they absolutely have not changed um and um it, it's really difficult so being self-employed enables a woman i mean i mean this might be true of a man if they were also a single parents but less yeah. so than not and, and enables us to to work on our own time on our own uh, in our own way um around childcare. it's right fantastic. yeah so that's how i how i became an entrepreneur yeah, and then, that's, that's pretty challenging, isn't it? That's pretty challenging. Yeah. You figured out, it sounds like you figured out a way to sort of work around the childcare and kind of keep your career going as well. And, and how did you go about that? So how did you manage that process? Oh my God. Uh, well, <laughs> it has been a really a rocky road. Um, to be perfectly honest with you, um, uh, one of the ways I managed it was because, um, well, there are a number of factors. I mean, to be fair, I also received um, carer's allowance. I mean, I applied for certain okay. state benefits. And they and they they kind of took the, how can I say, it, took the brunt of it. Um, so yeah. so that, that was part of it. But it was never very much. Um, and the other way, of course, I had friends uh, mm -hmm. who were very helpful. They were helpful uh, with moral support. They were yeah. not, terribly, not terribly helpful. Uh, in terms of physical support, because I mean, not anybody can just take over looking after 
um, you know, children who have, who have disabilities. It's not, in, with the best will in the world, it's not easy. Yeah. Um, but, but there were people who gave support. Uh, one one uh, friend in particular, over many, many years, um, and she, it's her vocation actually to support uh, young people with disabilities. Um, so she gave support. But, but basically, it has been very, very, very difficult. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can say. And at some point, I decided that I was going to just keep getting back on the horse, you know, and that's a decision, you know, you have to make. Uh, And it's really painful and it's really difficult. And, um, you know, I understand that people don't always manage it, but um, I decided that my kids needed me and that I was just going to keep getting them back on the horse. So that's how I did it. (laughs) Oh, that's brilliant. So you you carried on and and obviously you're running your own business still um, to this day. Yes, I am. Um, so obviously you you've had you know a variety of different experiences and you got to know more about gardens and the environment and, and that sort of a thing um mm. so what can you tell us um about sort of business and what businesses can do um for the environment or or basically what environment you know what does the environment mean in business right that's a really profound question uh i'd like to say that uh, the when two things first i've been involved with gardens themselves again since um since the late 60s so i've been a keen gardener and concerned about uh, the environmental concerns of pollution and so on and more recently uh climate climate change um that that's been a background for me the whole time even even before uh, i chose to go into that as a profession um, so that's one thing. Um, the kind of design that I do, I use a methodology that's called permaculture. Okay, tell us and, more about that. Yes, well, it's it's relevant to business because permaculture was developed in the 1970s in Australia by two people, one called uh, David Holmgren and the other, um, uh, oh God, now my mind has just gone blank. Um, that's okay. That's okay. Bill Mollison. Bill, Bill Mollison was a systems professor, um, okay. an ecosystems professor, and David Holmgren was his PhD student. And together they elaborated uh, an observational system of how ecosystems work together and how it would be possible to design consciously to design human systems and settlements. Okay. That is to say, settlements, a garden, a neighborhood, a town. Okay. Yeah. Uh, settlements using the principles that can be observed in nature oh wow so okay. this this is so this is the the background thought of how to create not only uh, sustainable environments but regenerative environments that is as i said at the beginning where where you don't just keep on doing what is at the present but where you look at what needs to happen to make it better again and okay. uh, so that's a, that's a that's a whole design approach that I use in my garden design, and okay. part of permaculture that was elaborated with Bill Mollison and David Holmgren uh, was the three permaculture ethics. Okay. And those those are looking after people, people care, looking after the earth, and sharing the abundance. Okay. And those are. F- fundamental business ethics as well as right yeah they do sort of cross over don't they, they do cross this over. is it so it's that is the triple bottom line right yeah. people planet profit but what's interesting is that the people the, the triple bottom line the people planet and profit 
uh, idea in business, instead of profit in the permaculture ethics, profit becomes something that is a shared abundance rather than rather than greedily um, held held by one person or one company or, or, or one group. Okay, so it's shared, shared abundance, okay. Exactly, exactly. So coming into business now, as I operate as a business person, I, I do everything I can to operate to those three, those three ethics. So, okay. uh, for example, um, uh, environmentally, obviously the work I actually do is environmental. Right, uh, yeah. But also the way I go about it, I try to do it in a way which doesn't generate waste, that um, doesn't use uh, bad chemicals. I mean, I, I'm absolutely organic. I wouldn't touch. Okay. Um, um, and those are the more obvious things. But for example, I trade, I don't own a, I don't own a car. Okay. Um, and I stopped owning a car um, about 12 years ago. I haven't owned okay. a car since because I've tried to, I'm trying to reduce my own personal carbon footprint um, right. I don't I don't fly for the same reason now okay. I'm not I'm, I'm not saying I, I, I walk I cycle I take public transport occasionally I rent a car if I need to because I, because it's not about being um, too too extreme in your thoughts right, yeah. about, yeah. about asking oneself do I really need all of these things and it's interesting as, as you and I were just speaking before we started our conversation yeah. um, with the current lockdown and the rec and the working from home and so on I think it's an opportunity for many 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 people around the world in the developed mm. countries particularly to realize all at once that we really are more healthy and that we do not need to rush around all the time in yeah, all these places so so I try I try to operate that way in my own business and the same thing in terms of actually what I'm using, uh, what material things I have to buy, how I look after things, um, mm -hmm. uh, 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 where I source things. So for instance, I, I'm very careful when I'm sourcing uh, plants, when I'm okay. ordering, for example, I think very, very, very um, deeply about who I'm supporting when I'm buying. Thing. okay yeah so personally per this is a personal thing to me i've made a decision to uh, to to purchase from small family businesses for the most right. part um and um and th that's because i support their entrepreneurship rather than uh going to the big garden centers for instance right, which are, yeah you're part of a, a big chain and then the chain itself will be owned usually by an even larger um probably a, a multinational um so these are all things that are taking back power uh, for us individually. But so that's one thing, but it's also easier to make positive environmental choices when you are trading more locally, because you can actually see your supply chain. Right. Yeah. And that's not something you can, people can always see, is it? They can't always see their supply chain. <laughs> exactly. But you can imagine it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for instance, when people say, oh yes, but that's going to cost more money. Yep. My response to that is, it only costs more money because the actual environmental impact is hidden from us at the moment. And somebody somewhere else or an environment somewhere else is paying the price for the cheap price that we have here. And right, there, yeah. we, we can take just about any manufactured product and, and that would often be the case. So for example, if you look at the question of food and the cheap food in the supermarkets, well, it's cheap for a variety of reasons. 
if it's fruit and vegetables, it's probably cheap because it's uh, sweated labor, people who are working uh, way, way below a minimum wage, either in this country or abroad, and who are living in dreadful situations. And so their labor is cheap, uh, and therefore the product costs less. But right. is, do, we want to, do we want to support them? Well, that's a personal choice. I definitely don't want to support them. And that's the um, question that, um, that's a question that business owners have to ask themselves as well, um, just taking a look at, at the bigger picture. And I think now, like, like during the lockdown period, I know a lot of, you know, like some of the countries were shut down and what have you. So some, you know, international business or suppliers, you know, they were shut down. <laughs> And people, yeah. I think, had to start think they have have had to start thinking a bit more locally. Um, so I think Absolutely. you brought out a, a really good point. So what do you do? You don't have the you know you're going for the cheap options abroad or wherever it might be. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden you're in a situation or in lockdown. You know, um, exactly. So that, exactly. Yeah. So hopefully that will. Yeah. Hopefully that will give people just a, or business owners a moment to reflect and figure out what their supply chain is. What does it look like? And, well, yeah. yeah, I mean, most people don't even think about the concept of a supply chain. Most people yeah. who, who don't think about these things, because most of the press in this country doesn't talk about it, except for The Guardian, to be fair. Um, it, 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 most people don't think about where the food comes from when they walk in the supermarket. And they don't think about how long it took to get there, how quickly it had to travel in order to be fresh. And all of those things, it's with lockdown now that we've begun to see, well, oh my goodness, um, if, if Spain is under lockdown and the North African and the West African workers are not able to work in the fields, that means nobody is picking the tomatoes and nobody's picking the oranges. So my right. goodness, where are we going to get our tomatoes and oranges from? I mean, this is a much bigger question and I'm not going to yeah. get political, but, uh, but this is a real question. So I'm urging people who are in business to think about everything that they buy or they use yep. and think about actually, well, where does it come from and who produced it in what conditions? What yeah. were their working conditions and, and, and so on? Um, it's, it's, it's very frightening because none of us in the West have, have 100% um, you know, free conscience on this. I mean, anybody who uses a computer or, any, or a handheld device, for example, um, the, the met, I don't know if you've read about the supply chains for those, but it's, it's based on sweated labor and child labor in Africa for some of the rare metals uh, that, that go into these machines. Um, right. you know, do, do we want to think that when we hold our, uh, you know, we hold our mobile in our hand that we use every single day, 100,000 times a day, you know, we're doing something on our mobile, but somewhere there is a child who's, who's digging some rare metal in Africa in slave conditions. Right. And I think with, with this sort of, um, these sort of issues or challenges that, you know, are imposed on business and people in general, I, I mean, these sort of things can be thought about at the startup stage, can't they? So obviously, you know, just when somebody's yeah. starting out their business. Um, and what advice would you have from somebody sort of starting out if they're sort of, I think we talked a bit, we're going to talk about a bit about the pestle analysis, but if yeah. someone were starting out in business, um, you know, what, can you kind of talk us through, I guess, the pestle analysis and just sort of get people to start yeah. thinking about strategy? Oh, that's, that's really like helpful. That. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a business coach. My son's a business coach, as you know. But uh, so, so this is not about business per se. This is more yeah, about yeah. the environment, thinking about 
the world in which your new business is going to actually be operating or trying to operate. Right, now, yeah. pest pestle analysis is an, is an analysis tool of risk. And instead of looking like um, SWOT analysis, where you look at your own operation, a pestle analysis, it's an abbreviation. It stands for P for political, E for economic, T for technological, uh, sorry, S for social, T yeah. technological, L for legal, and E again, environmental. And those are, you look out, you look first locally and then nationally and then internationally. You look and you say, okay, what is going on politically? locally, nationally, internationally, or environmentally or economically, uh, such that you're looking, it's like you're standing on a mountaintop and you're looking in the far distance in all directions and thinking, hmm, I wonder if there are any storms coming or right. hmm, I wonder what the terrain looks like that I'm going to be traversing once I get down this mountain, you know, is it dry? Do I need water? Is it, is it, is it a rainforest? Will I need protection? And, and so on. A pestle analysis is the way to figure out and to really take on board what the coming changes are in the environment in which you're going to be doing business. So a legal, an example of a legal change, there might be some uh, laws that are changing. Um, well, I mean, this is a silly example, but uh, yeah. if, if you're in the construction industry, uh, governments change the laws regarding what building regulations are. Now, that's just an example. If you're setting yourself up as a, as a, a joiner, well, you, you need to know what the legal framework is that you're going to be operating in, and if there are any changes coming. Um, but the same thing in uh, in terms of technology. You know, you say you you're starting uh, and you've got a tech startup. Well, who's your competition, and and what is going on with technology? Are you looking? Are you in a technology which is actually being phased out, and and who are the disruptors, and what's what's coming from that? Right. Yeah. But the biggest one, the absolutely biggest one, and I'm, and and I mean, obviously, economically now after the COVID lockdown, I've read time and time again that this is going to lead to the worst depression in 300 years. Yeah, I think not, I've seen that not, as well. <laughs> yeah, not not since the Great Depression of the 1930s. Oh no, 300 years. So so, what can we do to make sure that our new business is as resilient as possible? And that we, in fact, have multiple income streams and multiple possibilities and not putting all our eggs in one basket. So that's economic. But in terms of the environment, and I, I really would like to emphasize this, we are in a very, very precarious position on a planetary scale with climate change. Right. This is absolutely, we are at tipping points now. And every single human needs to be thinking about where their livelihood is, where their food is coming from, what, how they're going to operate, and, and think in those terms when they're starting a business. Is their business going to be dependent on, tech, sorry, on technology right. that may be, for example, um, based on petroleum-based uh, products? Is their business based on petroleum one way or another? I mean, it could be plastic, it could be uh, energy, it could be transport. I mean, there's all kinds of different things. Knowing that we're in a situation where fossil fuel must be phased out if we're to survive. Right, yeah. I mean, that's a really, really major disruptor. Or, for example, environmentally, are, are a person thinking to start a business that is dependent on a, a particular resource which is actually threatened with, with um, 
uh, you know, destruction or extinction or, or in fact, a, a resource which uses and extracts an, an unreasonable amount of resources from the environment. Right, yeah, and that's something that could be phased out, like you said, as well. So it's sort of thinking really? about the environment, but also at the same time, sort of future-proofing their business, really, or your business. That's right, um, that's right. So it exists, so it also doesn't become extinct, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, of course. I mean, I mean, for, for example, um, thinking if you're in any of the textile industries, um, right. well, there's a lot about textiles going on right now. Firstly, yeah. uh, that cotton and other natural textiles, um, unless they're organic, they have a very, very big negative impact in terms of chemicals and water use. So mm -hmm. that's one example. If you're using, if you're using um, petroleum-based textiles like polyester, um, you know, the polyester is a big problem in the oceans now. And right. are you going to be recycling it or, or, or whatever? I mean, that's just an example. Can, how can you, uh, how, uh, if you're in the garment industry, um, how are you going to source garments where it's fair trade and where, where the workers are not being exploited in, mm -hmm. in the developing world and so on. I mean, these are all questions and, and it's really exciting because there are businesses who yeah. are uh, upcycling things and recycling things and repurposing things and so on. Uh, and I think that that would be wise to do that sort of thing rather than um, to be, to be still thinking in the old fashioned terms, which is, the nature is out there for me to go and get my stuff from so I can make this thing and sell it. Because right, that's, yeah. that's out of date. That, can't, that mindset is yeah. out of date. And I think also like nowadays as well with obviously the power of the internet and, you know, international, you can kind of get in touch with anyone anywhere, anytime. Um, mm. But customers tend to be more aware, I think, um, now probably more than ever really with, you know, where mm. things are coming from in sort of, you know, kind of the background about some of the businesses and what they're doing, where the products come from, who they're employing, that sort of a thing. Do you often yes, find um, that companies are honest in those situations or do they try and cover these sort of things up, do you think? Well, pr frankly, um, I, I think that the bigger the company, the more likely it is to be trying to uh, greenwash something. Mm -hmm. I think the smaller, um, personally, I've made a decision a long time ago it, whatever possible, I avoid any purchasing from a multinational. Okay. Uh, just on principle. Um, now th that's not a hundred percent because it's impossible. Uh, and right, nowadays, yeah. for example, I've got a, I've got a, a, a Samsung phone and I've got a Dell computer and all yeah. obviously it's not possible all the time. But for the most part, I try not to do that. And th that's one thing. Um, but the other thing is that. Um, I think that uh, in terms of entrepreneurs and small companies, they fall into two or companies or enterprises. They fall into two categories. They're the people who say, I don't care. I'm right. just going to do this thing this way and um, prove it kind of thing, which is a kind of aggressive attitude. And then there are people who say, I really do care. This is a challenge. How can we figure this out? But right. they're doing their best to actually improve things. And those are the companies that I admire and that I would want to deal with. Even if what they're doing is imperfect, the mm. fact is they're trying to improve it. And I bet um, those sort of yeah. businesses are the ones that are going to be around a bit longer because they have a different way of thinking. Um, yes. A bit yeah, more so. um, forward thinking. Can you, um, so you mentioned the term greenwash. Um, yeah. What exactly does that mean? Just so, um, you know, businesses can be aware if, if um, you know, they're looking to do, um, you know, good in their business or what have you for the environment. What does greenwash mean? 
greenwashers when they're pretending to do something. Okay. That, um, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, yeah, definitely I have this example. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's so many examples, but um, <laughs> recently, recently I was in Marks and Spencers. Now, I've got nothing against Marks and Spencers per okay. se, uh, but okay, I was in Marks and Spencers, and at the till, this was before the, this was before the lockdown, okay. um, the woman was handing out little packets of seeds so that people could sow seeds. Okay. Now, that's nice and fine, okay, but... To, to me, that was greenwash because actually, what is Marks and Spencer's doing about its entire carbon footprint and its entire supply system for all of the food it sells and all of the textiles it sells? Okay. That's to me. That's infinitely more important. I'd much rather have have something in the till that says we are doing this, 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 and this behind the scenes, to, so that so that we are, have less of an impact on the environment, rather than having a little packet. Uh, of, of jolly little seeds um, that right. they're handing people. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah that's an yeah. example to me. Um, okay. Uh, uh, or um, most most recently with uh, aviation. Okay, aviation has just been shut down around the globe, and that is an excellent thing because it, because human race had to had to have a shock to see the difference it, there is without that pollution and without that those carbon emissions. You know, and it needed something as massive as the pandemic for that to happen. Now, the, some of these companies are coming back and they're saying, oh, yeah, 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 we're going to make aviation green. It's impossible to make certain industries green. I'm sorry. Unless, yeah. unless they're going to be flying uh, with solar power or something like that. And even then, there's still the resource question of the materials that go into, into creating the machine. And that's also resource, and that is also energy intensive, whether it's steel or aluminium or rare metals or whatever it is. All of that has, has um, energy implications. And any energy implication that's not renewable has an implication in climate change. So that's a, that, is a, that is a huge example of companies who've got so much to lose, who are trying to pretend that they could become environmentally friendly. Aviation will never be environmentally friendly environmentally friendly it cannot be it's an oxymoron so yeah and that's that's, that's definitely it's definitely like a, a tricky area that um so with a um with a startup business um obviously if they were starting out and they wanted to think about the environment and aim to be as environmentally friendly as possible how would they go about sort of thinking of their environmental strategy and then what sort of steps could they take um to sort of make uh, their their business a bit more friendly for the environment. Someone that's yeah. just sort of new to this, or it's all new to them. They've got this idea oh, yeah. for their okay. product. Okay. What well, do we do? Uh, firstly, the first step is to decide that you actually care about it. Okay, <laughs> and that's the most important one because that's the one where you actually begin to think this really makes a difference, and I really care, and I'm going to do what it takes. Okay. And, and there are swings and roundabouts. You know, you might have to pay more for certain things, but then you'll save money on other things. And you have to be prepared to, to do that thinking. So that's the first step. The okay, second yeah. step is, is to look at your supply chains and, and your um, distribution chains. By that, I mean every single thing that you use, that you source, that you will make use of in the business has a chain that, where it comes from. And to look at every step on that chain for every single thing to think yeah. about where it comes from. So that's, that's, that's from the production side. 
and then and then and then the other side and that's and 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 that's also true of services if you're in a service business it's mm -hmm. not just about uh, manufacturing um the same thing is with your your distribution and your marketing so um I mean, a very small example, obviously, is the difference between online marketing and right. uh, which has a footprint versus um, advertising in the print media, which has which has a carbon footprint. You know, they both do, but those are things that you need to weigh up. But also, right. it's your your distribution. If if you have a product based uh, uh, business, then you have to think about how you are distributing it distributing your product right uh, not only not only the product itself which should be a hundred percent recyclable right hundred yeah. percent easily recyclable if it isn't then you're deluding yourself um and right. and and also how is it going to get to your customers how far does it have to travel how is it going to travel where is it going to be sold to them uh, what are the circumstances surrounding the sale, the point of sales, in terms of the carbon footprint and the and the environmental impact of that? Um, in other words, what you're doing is you're not only thinking about your product or your service; you're thinking about what comes before it is a product or a service, and what comes after it has become a product or service. So basically, you're looking um, in come from where it's coming from and where it's going to and ideally it should be circular a circular economy where it does not require extraction okay. of new resources and where it doesn't require any um abandonment as waste does okay. that make sense yeah that does make sense yeah and it's yeah. called it's called the circular economy it's called okay. a circular economy that's a thing um so that that's so i'll give you an example if you're in a service yeah. base uh, industry uh, and, and you decide then you can think about how you how you actually um, provide your service with the context where you are um, if if it's office based then obviously it's very um, very straightforward to do an office uh, audit of all mm -hmm. the, the supplies your who who are you buying your energy from um, uh, what do you do with the waste how are you reducing the waste how are you heating and, and so on that that's in terms yeah. of the service space um uh if if you are if, if you're in a food business then again um uh, making sure that what you what you are sourcing is not only organic and that is very very important for the environment it isn't about taste it isn't it really is not okay. organic standards is about um, not harming the environment and if it's about meat it's about not harming the animals uh, right. because because in organic standards, um, factory farming is not allowed in the same way that it is non-factory. So, so those are ethical questions as well right. as environmental ones. They really, really are. And then again, um, if you're if you're selling and, and afterwards, what's going to happen with the waste? And uh, have you thought that through? And, and so on. So, right. it, 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 do you see what I mean? It's it's yeah. uh, thinking about the whole, the cradle to grave, as they say, in terms of. Um, uh, in terms of social security, um, but also in terms of products and services. So that's the kind of analysis that has to take place if you want to seriously be, uh, be green in what you're doing. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, you mentioned a good thing, obviously, doing that analysis and what have you, um, but also deciding from the start, you know, that do you care or do you not care? And I think that's sort of a decision that a business owner would have to make. And then yeah. obviously once they make that decision, then they kind of go with it. And there might be points where they're, 
you know, they're on top of things in some areas, maybe not others, but I think just making that starting step, you know, um, we're going toe Absolutely. by toe, going toe by toe is just starting that process. And then as hopefully as they move along, they'll refine it and go over it and, and sort of make that strategy a bit clearer. And obviously, you know, and also start thinking about future proofing their business and, you know, being aware of what their customers want as well, because people do tend to want something that's environmentally friendly. Well, I hope that's true. I do hope that's true because I mean, I I hear people say sometimes, "Oh, but the customer wants X." You know, like for yeah. example, if you go if you go into a garden center and there's all these chemicals and and all of these, um, you know, weed killer and all that kind of stuff, and then you say to the manager, "Well, why are you stocking that stuff? It's it's terrible for the environment." They say, "Oh, well, my customers, blah blah blah." I disagree right. with that. You you as an entrepreneur have to mm -hmm. know what is actually the the right thing for your customers. Exactly. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, and I do not, I absolutely disagree with this idea. You've got to do what the customer wants when it's something that's a negative thing. I absolutely am against it. Um, and and I, I say this all the time, for example, on LinkedIn, mm. people are saying, oh, well, they want, they want me to use weed killer or they want me to put down artificial grass or whatever. And, and I'm sorry, I, I've, I have walked away from, I've walked away from projects uh, over that sort of thing because we have to take a stand. And also it isn't just yeah. about future proofing our business. It's about present proofing our business because actually climate change is happening now, right, and, yeah. and 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 the catastrophe of, of of species loss is happening right now. This is not yeah. in the future. This is happening now, and if we don't see it yet, it's because our eyes are closed. It's not because it isn't happening. So uh, I'm sorry to sound like it's all doom and gloom, but I really think now is the time for us to step up and and really really care and really make a difference and if i could just say one final thing yeah. which is that um the more people will operate in that kind of way the more they they will seek out and find other businesses that also are operating um yeah. and 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 so that becomes a positive reinforcing uh, network yeah and i think once you know once one business starts and the other sort of follows but i think you you made a good point about entrepreneurs entrepreneurs being in control of their own decisions and running their own business so you can do what you want basically based on your beliefs and your mission mission and your vision and so on and so forth um and i think um yeah just sort of i'm hoping i'm personally hoping actually um that obviously with this whole lockdown situation that people take what they've learned from it and they apply it to their business, but also, you know, to the, to the environment as well. And I'm hoping that comes together. <laughs> you know, it's like a, you know, mm. it sort of, it works together where, um, you know, people are being just more aware really and thinking a bit more, um, which I think is a good start, particularly for people in general, but obviously for business owners to start taking a deeper look at what they're doing, what they're offering and, and how it affects you know, the environment and other things and beyond. Um, and also how it affects people, the human well-being. I think that's yeah. another thing people realized is that um, stuff, you know, lots and lots of consumer stuff doesn't make people happy. It's, yeah. it's, it's something different. And hopefully that has also um, become clear to people. Yeah. And I think, yeah, as I mean, as we're saying now, there's always positives out of something. So I think we've given people right now enough tools to kind of get started if you're not doing something now for the environment now is the time start thinking about it start putting a strategy in place particularly when most of the country is on lockdown things are changing everything is changing so you've got to kind of adapt and, and be current within your business and obviously within your in, within yourself
but the main point I think I'm taking for this from this is really just say to yourself, I do care um, as a business owner. And I really want to thank you for coming on the show today, Jenny. Um, how can our listeners um, uh, get in touch with you? Well, my website is called Carpe Diem Gardens. That's C-A-R-P-E-D-I-E-M gardens.co.uk. And that's me. And so please get in touch. Lovely. Um, so yeah, we'll look out for that Carpe Diem Gardens and uh, we'll put that in the show notes as well um, for people mm-hmm. to refer to and obviously anything that you added as well. Thanks so much for That's coming awesome. on the show, Jenny. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Welcome. Bye. And that's a wrap, folks. Business Chit Chat is where it's at. Bye.